Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Julia Brewer-Daly, a former educator and now author. Her first book of historical fiction and part memoir is No Names to be Given. Julia takes us on a journey more than half a century ago, a time when young women who found themselves in the family way were sent away. The circumstances were akin to a secret mission, and that part of their life was edited out. However, as we've made progress with technology, those edits are now somewhat easily found. And Julia weaves all this in to the book, No Names to be Given. Let's meet Julia to have her fill in some of those edits for us. Julia Brewer-Daly, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. I'm so glad to be with you. And, of course, thank you for writing a very compelling fictional book, but about adoption based on on reality, based on what uh, went on in the past, and based on some of the uh, repercussions, what's going on today. So, uh, of course, let's start with beginning with your desire to tell the story, because you have a very personal connection to it. I do. It's fictional, as you said, but it has a thread of memoir running through it because I am an adopted child from a maternity home hospital in New Orleans, and uh, my protagonist in the book um, meet at that maternity home hospital in New Orleans to relinquish their babies for adoption. So it all kind of ties together. Um, I was adopted in the 50s, and I um, was taken to Mississippi and spent most of my life in Mississippi. Um, my adoptive parents lived there, and I had a wonderful childhood. And they always told me that I was adopted. I think they began with little um, books to read to me when I was young. So I always knew I was one of the chosen children, but that's not always the case, and not everybody is, is told that they're adopted. And from your perspective, does this seem like a wise path to take to be honest and open up front about it? I definitely think so. I think, you know, a lot of people can get away with it for a while because um, our birth certificates are actually changed to reflect that our adoptive parents gave birth to us. So you don't see the original birth certificates. Those are closed records. And I think it would be difficult to trust anyone if your most basic self-information is not truthful. It has to be terribly disorienting if you find out, especially as an adult, that you your whole life was a lie. And you know, as a child, you pick up on, on so much, you perceive so much that's going on around you, even if you don't know what it is, you, you think that those secrets are about you. Right. And just how harmful that can be to a child to just always feel that something is off in their life. Yes, I think so, too. When I was conducting research for my novel, um, I, I searched and found my own birth mother, and she had not told her sons that she had given up a child for adoption. So it was a shocking revelation to them. And of course, that is the other side of it is uh, is the birth mother and how to handle all of that information uh, 
So she hadn't told her son, but maybe she hadn't told her husband either. Well, she had, but a lot of women have not. And that's been the most interesting part of my journey after writing this book is that I've gotten to speak to so many around this complex um, subject of adoption. I've talked to birth mothers. I've talked to other adoptees. I've talked to adoptive parents. And, you know, all of those are different perspectives and, and have different issues surrounding them. And a lot of the birth mothers have kept this a secret um, for so, so many years. Uh, it must be such a challenge because it was at the time, and we're talking about the 50s and really into the 60s as well, th- this was still very much the norm. And so to be oh, oh, right, yes. right, yes, yes, the the women who were unwed, well, from the 30s up until about the 70s, actually, uh, young women were shipped off to these maternity home hospitals. Um, so, you know, they were told that they were going to visit an aunt or, you know, take a European vacation. And they uh, had all of these stories concocted. And the the young women went away, and there was no possibility of them keeping their children. It, it the society, uh, the societal mores back then, their families were shamed. Um, it, it it was definite, you know, that they were going to give up a child for adoption. And it's so gut wrenching because, as you share in the book, it's it. You have the details, and we can really get the feeling of, of how wrenching that is to be giving birth and not even to have a glimpse, not have one single touch with this infant that you've carried for nine months. It, it It's just beyond belief. Well, I hear from a lot of young women today that they can't even believe such as that happened. You know, this is a part of our history in this country that that people who didn't experience it cannot even fathom how you would give up your firstborn and and to strangers and never be able to look back and never be able to say that you were a mother at all, to just hide that and those emotions so deep down into your psyche that, you know, they, they can't come back to the surface. And to think then jumping into the times we now live in and the opportunity for open adoption and and having interviews to be able to even make a selection of who would be a good parent to this child that you are, that you know you need to give up. But having that kind of a, a choice and being able to maintain connections if you choose, what a different world. It is a different world, and adoption is in the news, uh, as you well know, um, talking about same-sex adoptive parents, adopting out of the culture, there's international versus in-country adoption, and I certainly hope that we can bring attention to the children in the foster care system who are waiting for homes. Older children, there are more than 100,000 of them in the country, and that just breaks my heart. And we in my family have, of course, a a real love for adoption. My oldest daughter um, had two birth children, and then she adopted four. So 
we we truly see that adopting older children is is such a wonderful thing for for families to be able to do. Oh, that is wonderful. That had to really make your your heart sing, basically, to have her do that. It's really a, a full circle moment when that, when that happens, and and you see that I was adopted as a baby, and that was a, a totally different time. You know, mostly uh, white babies being given for adoption, and now um, for us to be able to adopt all cultures and for children to to have families is is very heartwarming. And so these were closed adoptions, but of course, part of our advancing society uh, and culture is that we have these DNA tests now. So more people have that opportunity and maybe get a shock as to what goes on. But you very deliberately did this, did your research or did the DNA testing to find your birth mother? Well, when I searched and found my birth mother, that was many years ago. And at the time in Louisiana, there was still a Napoleonic law on the books that said that an adopted child could inherit from their natural parents. Well, you can't inherit from your natural parents if you don't know who they are. So that was a little loophole that allowed me to get into the records, to go to the Bureau of Records and to request Um, that original birth certificate. And luckily, my birth grandmother was still living at that address where my birth mother had lived, and I was able to contact her and get in touch with my birth mother. Now, many years later, when these DNA gift tests became available for us, um, I did my DNA results and found my birth father's side of the family as well. Unfortunately, he had passed away about 30 years ago, but um, I did receive a message from that DNA um, result company, and my heart stopped for a moment when an email came through, and the subject line read, Are you my sister? Mm. That will get your attention. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, we're we're half-sisters by my biological father. And how were these reunions, both with your half-brother and now with the half-sister? Well, I had good experiences. Um, My birth mother informed her sons about me, and I met them. And, you know, um, they were shocked, but they were, you know, happy to meet me. And my birth mother and I had a good relationship until her death. It was not the mother-daughter relationship. You know, many years had passed. My my adoptive parents are my parents, and um, she became a good friend. And I think that's what most people find when they search is that, you know, those bonds are are there, but they're not the the mother-child bond that, that some may hope for. And um, I think you have to be prepared for that when you conduct your search. Is that, yes, that there's not necessarily going to be a real strong connection, but being a friend is a wonderful thing. It really is. And my adoptive parents were supportive, and they said, you know, uh, families have lots of love to give, 
and and we'll just incorporate you know that side of the family as well you have family a and family b and there can even be family c and and we all get along and and um and so that that's worked out well for me right and we even see it being used uh, as a subject in in movies now i'm thinking back to one over the holidays that uh on hallmark that had a a young woman finding her birth family and it was just it's really t- touching this was a, a great connection and i think to show that um that good things can happen where you can really build you know just a, a greater circle of of family and friends is uh, very positive and uplifting well it, it is and i i tell everyone i advise everyone who wants to search you know hope for the best but prepare for the worst because Best case, the family member will want to get to know you. Worst case, you're rejected, and that hurts. But there's a a very significant reason that a mother relinquishes a child for adoption. And there are very few states with open records, and so some of those situations may stay buried for reasons that you may never know. And a large percentage of adoptees never search. They're just not, you know, not interested. I think for birth mothers... I certainly would have to bring some closure to know if their child has had a good life. You know, my birth mother was worried that she had given me to a family who might have abused me. You know, you see all of those terrible news items on um, television and you think, did my child end up in a situation like that? So, you know, birth mothers are carrying a lot of a lot of grief and a lot of pain on, on their end, that hopefully adoptees are not and had a good childhood. Right. And hopefully, too, where there is the connection and your mother have your birth mother hoping that you had a good home, that that helps to bring some closure and, and maybe it's been a little bit of a wound inside that finally can uh, be healed and she can, she could move on and and feel good about that that's what she said and and i think that really was helpful for her to get to know me and you know it it is uh shocking and and comforting at the same time to see someone who truly looks like you although everyone said that my adoptive father uh, looked just like me and um so i worried all those years that he might be my actual father and my poor (laughs) adoptive mother was having to to bring up this child of his uh, indiscretions, but that wasn't the case. That was just my imagination as a child. (laughs) Uh, Your creativity as a writer was already beginning at those young age. (laughs) Absolutely. And I um, actually took a writing course uh, many years ago and wrote a couple of chapters that ended up in this book. You know, if I had written this story back when I found my birth mother. Um, That was before anyone was searching. You didn't open a magazine and see all these reunions or or see adoption anywhere. It was a hush-hush kind of society. And um, it would have been a blockbuster, you know, back then. Now, uh, every book seems to have a little thread of adoption running through it. So that's that's been very interesting to me to see how it's being worked into 
to so many books and, and movies now. Well, yours is a very interesting book because you have three young women who ended up in, in this maternity home together and being and you followed their life from that time. So we really have an insight as to what what the situation was in this country at that time. So I think that gives it one of the natural kind of differences uh, than we would normally find. Yes, and I um, talked to my birth mother about being in the maternity home and found out a lot of um, information from her. But I've also talked to other birth mothers. In fact, one who relinquished her son for adoption in the 60s in that same maternity home. And so um, I got to, you know, get information from her as well to make sure that I was on the right path in describing what a maternity home hospital would be like in those days. And you met, so you are again mentioning the research that, that you did. Was that challenging to find the people uh, to actually interview? How, how did you go about getting that information? Well, of course, the Internet is our, uh. is our friend now. <laughs> Writers can Google just about anything and find people and um, people who are searching, you know, for a child or searching for a family or trying to find records. And um, that maternity home hospital in New Orleans actually has a Facebook group of um, adoptees who are looking for their birth parents or birth parents looking for adoptees. And so that's been a, a good source um, for, of information for me. I guess, of course, that would make sense. It just you know, kind of what juxtaposing uh, having a Facebook page versus, you know, 50, 60 years ago and being so secretive and wanting everything to be so hush-hush. What, what a contrast. It really is. And, you know, I think um, technology does make reunions possible. A um, hundred million Americans have adoption in their immediate families. And 7 million of us alive today are adoptees. And uh, I think that's, you know, a significant number. And so it seems like almost every family in the, in the country is affected by adoption in some way. And I think at one time, though, well, at least there was the openness that families did share in many cases that the child was adopted. But was there still actually a stigma around it? Well, you know, when I was adopted, and one of the stories in the book um, from one of the adoptees' uh, points of view is an actual story. My grandmother and aunt were pushing buggies um, with us. Um, my first cousin and I were only a month apart. I was adopted. She was a birth child. And they were pushing us downtown. And it's such a small town. This woman walked up and said, I want to see that baby. And my grandmother held up my cousin. She said, no, I want to see that adopted baby. And my mother said it was like she thought I would have horns coming out of my head. So, you know, uh, people were very uh, intrigued by um, adopted children. And, I, and when I think back, I think how brave my parents were at that point to bring a child who was uh, not their blood child into their home and to 
rear me um, as their own. You know, that took a lot of a lot of bravery, I think, back in that day and time in a small town. Yes. And um, I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. And were you raised then as an only child? No. The old adoption syndrome happened. Uh, they were told they would never uh, be able to have a child, so they adopted me. And 19 months later, my <laughs> brother was born, and 10 years later, my sister <laughs> I I know people who have had that syndrome, yes, which is amazing. Actually, neighbors, when you mentioned the variety of adoptions, uh, neighbors of ours had um, a daughter and then couldn't have other children, and they adopted internationally. So they had a beautiful home uh, with yeah. seven children, and then all of a sudden they had another child. <laughs> So, yes, and and that has happened in my own family with my daughter, you know, and and uh, they have six children, um, all different colors and nationalities, and now they're all American kids. So, it it it's worked out beautifully. And I can't help but comment then, because I'm thinking of the neighbors, but with your daughter as well, that isn't this just a beautiful example of what our world could be, how we could have this kind of connection and harmony and, and live a great life all together. I, I believe so. And, and I think we're going to stop looking at, at um, skin color and worrying about adopting out of the culture. You know, there, there are a lot of naysayers about things like that. And certainly you want to honor a a child's culture and to be able to maybe take them back to the country where they were born and let them, you know, have some cultural aspects. But, you know, those children were on the streets in their country or they were, you know, in a bad situation. And to have them have a strong, loving home to me is just everything. And I've, I've seen it in our own family. Um, you know, a loving family can heal a lot of wounds and a lot of uh, trauma that a child has gone through. Exactly. So, yes, we definitely want to support adoption whenever and however possible. And part of it being from the foster care system, because as you mentioned earlier, Julia, how there is such a great need, often it is older children who really desperately need a home. And to me, I, I think we see those children who do not get into a good family, they end up being the victims on the streets. A lot of our um, homeless population that is just, uh, it doesn't know where to go. Yes, and that just breaks my heart um, every time I see a story about children being on the street and one of my grandchildren who was adopted was adopted from Colombia, South America, when he was 16. And he was about to be placed on the street out of the children's home where he had been living because they had to age out of the children's home. And he didn't even know anything about money or how to make it on those streets. Can you imagine? I mean, it just horrifies me to think of him um, having to exist by himself out there, and now he's a member of our family. 
Oh, isn't that beautiful? What a wonderful story. G- great encouragement for any of us to to really consider that. And I'm sure that, you know, there are times that it, it can be a challenge, but to know that having this open heart, open home, welcoming home, it can be so healing uh, for a better future. It really is. And, you know, a lot of people are concerned about taking older children into their families, especially if they've been through a lot of trauma and had a um, terrible childhood. But, you know, I I say in my book um, that some people will say, well, you don't know what you're going to get when you adopt. And I always say to them, do you know what you're going to get when you have your own? Because I had three birth children and uh, they're not like they're even cousins. I wonder where they came from, you know, because they're totally different from each other and they grew up in the same house. So I don't know if you can say that even your own birth children, um, that you'll know what you're going to get until you get them. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) Definitely. So this is really a a very ta- uh, wonderful, and I'm going to say a timely book, even though you say there is so much more th- uh, around us that is on the subject of adoption. But I, I think having the, the weaving of these three young women, uh, their life and and their future and how it all comes together is definitely intriguing, I'll say. And, uh, you know, we, we can learn so much and it helps to open up our heart. So we can get more information, of course, from your website. So let's mention that, Julia. Yes, it's www.juliadaily, and daily is spelled D-A-I-L-Y, just like dailynewspaper.com. And they can uh, view my book there, and I do have resources on that site concerning adoption. Yes, lots of great resources, which is a good reason to visit that. Also, you have a presence on Instagram and Facebook so people and Twitter, so people can find you there as well. Yes, that's been um, fun to get to know the social media world through my book. <laughs> yes. So, No Names to Be Given is the novel based on a lot of actual research, actual true life stories, um, but put into this uh, not a fictional situation. Exactly. Right. So as, um, as you have finished this project, do you look at another one now, or perhaps you're in the midst of one? Well, I have my second book already written. It is about a female heir to the largest ranch in Texas who finds an ancient people living on her property. So it's not the adoption, but um, it, it I've become intrigued living in Texas now um, with these ranches here. And um, I went to Mesa Verde National Park in Colorado and saw these gorgeous ruins that an ancient people built. And I was intrigued enough to to make that the topic of my next book. Wow, that sounds amazing. Very interesting. Historical fiction really is, um, I I find, quite wonderful to read. So uh, do we expect that to be coming out? What? It takes a while for publishing. In August. In, well, that is yes, coming up. In wow. August of, of this year, yes. So that'll, that'll be... Um, 
another fun, fun book. Um, I think people are interested in contemporary westerns now, you know, with the television shows like Yellowstone being so popular. So it'll be interesting to see how it does in the marketplace. Absolutely. I can't imagine, but that it'll be just grabbed up as I hope that is the case with no names to be given, uh, because it is, as we've been talking about for the last uh, half hour, about uh, adoption and the the need and the history and just uh, the greater awareness, all that we can learn and become as a result of it. So uh, it, this has been so wonderful to connect with you, Julia Daly. Thank you so much. It's been a great visit. And I wish you even more writing projects that we'll delight in. Thank you. This brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Julia Daly and Sunday Morning Magazine with Elaine Park. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, Find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of seeing ourselves and each other as the positive change we want to see in the world. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 1069. Good morning.